Well, it is good to see all of you here tonight. And if we haven't met, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here at Element City Church. And we are in a series uh, called At the Movies. And tonight we're going to watch a, a clip from a movie that should be familiar to all of us. In fact, the sequel is out in the theaters right now if you haven't seen it yet. We're going to watch a clip tonight from the movie Finding Nemo. Now, this is a movie that, honestly, there was about 10 different ideas that came into my mind. And I thought, you know, there are so many biblical truths that are, that are just illustrated so well in this movie. But, but here's what we're going to talk about tonight. And this is what I want you to think about as we watch this clip here in just a minute. I want you to think about Nemo's father. I want you to think about what he goes through the relentless way in which he pursues his son when his son does this. So the look on his father's face at the end, this look of terror as he realizes that his son has been taken and he sets off on a journey to find him. If you're a parent and you've ever lost your child, and, and my kids are pretty young, so I've been fortunate I haven't actually lost them, but I can remember times where if you just do one turnaround in a busy store as a parent and don't see your kid, probably because they're right here in your blind spot, you just, there's just a wave of terror that sweeps over you. But we saw something else in that scene, something that every parent has experienced, or if you've got nieces or nephews or you've just been around kids before, you've seen it, right? When he goes up to the boat and his dad says, don't touch it, and then he touches it. You see, there's something in us, even from the earliest ages, that when somebody says don't do something, we automatically want to go out and do it. So I remember uh, my oldest daughter, she used to like to be around us in the kitchen when we were making dinner, and we would tell her, you know, honey, you need to be careful. Don't, don't touch the stove. The stove is hot. You need to not touch it. Well, finally, um, I think she was about three years old one day, she finally touched the stove when it was hot and there was tears and there was a blister and there was a princess band-aid and a few days later it was as if it had never happened. But she's never touched the stove again. She's learned her lesson. See, there's something in all of us, even from the earliest ages. Somebody says don't do something and a switch goes off. And automatically, we didn't even know we wanted to do it, and now we know we want to do it. And it's been this way from the beginning. But really, it was never God's intent for any of that to happen. See, when God created the world, it was perfect. God looked out over all that he'd made. He looked at Adam and Eve, and he looked and he said, this is good. This is really, really good. And there was an authority structure with God over man and mankind over creation. But even in the midst of that authority structure, there was absolutely no conflict in that. There was what the Jewish people call shalom, total peace, total harmony between man and God, man and creation, creation and the creator. There was total peace in every way. But of course, it didn't stay that way. And it seems like every time we look at our phones, we scroll through social media, we look at the news, we have another reminder staring us in the face that our world is not 
what it was intended to be. And if you go back, way back to the beginning, God had put Adam and Eve in the garden and he said, there's all these trees, you can eat from any of them except for one. One tree I want you to avoid. And just like we do as children, immediately they were drawn to it. And in an instant, as they ate the fruit, as they disobeyed God, their relationship with God was broken. Sin entered the world. And with sin came decay and destruction and death. Physical death, relational death, spiritual death, all of that came as a result of sin entering into the world. And it brought with it a problem. It's a problem that all of us have been trying to solve ever since then. How do I get back to a right relationship with God? How do I, how do I mend this break that exists between me and God? How do I, I cross this chasm that separates us? How do I do that? And typically, we respond to this um, in one of two ways. For some of us, we turn from God and go in the absolute opposite direction. We rebel and we go as far away from what God says as possible. And we may not even think about it in those terms, but, but here's what I mean by that. And maybe this will describe you. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I call the shots. Nobody's telling me what to do. You mind your own business, I'll mind my business. I'm not gonna listen to anybody. I'm certainly not gonna listen to God. I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna chart my own course. I am not a Christian. I don't want any part of that. Christianity is for people who are weak. If you need faith to get through life, then you have issues. And if that's you tonight, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here because this is a place where you can investigate and you can ask questions. And that when you walk through those doors and you come in here, that we will embrace you and welcome you and say, glad to have you join us. Despite whatever it is that you may think about Jesus, despite whatever it is that you may think about Christians. And if that is you, then I wanna ask you a question. And I want this question to kind of play in the back of your mind as we go through and we talk about this here tonight. And I know we don't know each other, so I'm not being hostile. Uh, I'm not being provocative with this question. I'm being completely sincere with that. If I just described you, can I ask, how's that working out for you? I mean, if you're honest, how's that working out for you? Do you like where that's led you? Do you like the consequences maybe that have come into your life as a result of your decision? Others of us, uh, we go at this from the complete opposite angle. So on the one side, we have rebellion. We do our own thing. Then some of us, we come at it and we try to bring religion into the equation. And we think, well, if I read my Bible and if I pray and if I go to church and if I do good works and if, if I don't drink or cuss or chew or hang out with people who do, then God will just love me and accept me because of what a, a good person I am and because of what I've done. But you know, don't you? You know that, that you're coming up short because you're coming up short of your own standards. 
We all have an internal standard. We all have a line that we're not willing to cross, and yet every day I cross it. And I'm willing to bet you do too. And at the end of the day, when you lay down at night, there's doubt there. There's doubt as to whether or not everything is good between you and God. See, how's that working out for you? Same question. How's that working out for you? Do you like the, the guilt and the shame that comes with that and the worry about what if I'm not good enough? See, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, and most of us kind of, we fall somewhere in between. We kind of mix those two things, or we go through seasons of life where we mix those two, or we go through a rebellious phase, and we go through a religious phase, and back to a rebellious phase, and we kind of, we're always crossing somewhere in between, regardless of where you fall. If there is a good and holy and perfect God, then I think if we're honest, all of us would say that that we're probably not measuring up. No matter what standard you use, at the very least, we can't be absolutely certain about where we stand. And so we have a problem. And the problem has a solution. And his name is Jesus, the Son of God, the culmination of God's great rescue plan. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And as we do this, um, we kind of need to go all the way back to the beginning. See, um, the gospel, the good news of all that God has done for us in Jesus uh, is only good news if we first understand the bad news, if we first understand what's wrong with our world and individually what's wrong with ourselves. And so if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter Three. Everything was good up until that moment when Eve took some fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband, Adam, and he was like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And so he ate it. And then in an instant, everything changed. And their eyes were open and they were naked. And they realized for the first time they were naked. I wonder what that was like. See, none of us know what that's like. Because we've all grown up in a world where nakedness is something that you cover up. And yet for these two individuals, they'd never known that because they had never known guilt or shame. See, that statement, it's not just a statement about the physical, uh, what was happening physically in that moment. Everything had changed. They were naked relationally. They were separated from God. They were separated from one another. They were separated from themselves. There was psychological tension in there. And so they did the only thing they could think of in that moment to do, to try to begin to deal with this problem. They gathered up some leaves and they tried to put them together to make a covering for themselves, to fix this problem, this guilt that they were feeling in that moment. And then this happens, Genesis chapter three starting in verse eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Hiding, finger pointing, guilt, shame, all of that is present in this moment. Shalom is no more. Shalom has been fractured. And over the next few verses, the consequences of that are gonna play out. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, we see a glimmer of hope. We see that God's great rescue mission had begun. Think about it. There's only two people in the world at this point. God could have wiped him out, started over, and said, eh, we'll just, we'll hit reset and do it over. And yet he didn't. A perfect and holy God moved towards his prized creation. He moved towards these people who had moved away from him. He came after them. He gave them uh, skins, animal skins, protective coverings, more than just leaves. And in doing so, he reminded them that, you know what? Sin has consequences. Sin brings with it death. Animals had to die so that you could be protected. He puts a couple of angels at the tree of life to guard it, which at first seems kind of cold, and you're going, well, wouldn't you want them to get to the tree of life? And, and the answer is no, because if they got to the tree of life, then they were gonna be stuck eternally living in this world, this broken, sinful world. And yes, death is a consequence of sin, but ultimately, as we're gonna see here tonight, death would one day be defeated. And so the story goes on from there. A generation later, their son, Cain, he murders his brother. Within 10 generations after that, the earth has gotten so bad that God says to a man named Noah, I want you to get your sons, your wives, your family, and two of every kind of animal, build a really big boat, get on it, and get ready. Because I'm about to re hit reset. I'm about to wipe out the world through a flood. And from there it goes on. God calls a man named Abraham. Not because this man was perfect, because as we see time and time and time again in his story, he's far from perfect. God calls Abraham simply because he calls Abraham. He chooses him and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna make a great nation through your descendants. And through that nation, the entire world is gonna be blessed. But that nation, the nation of Israel, goes into slavery and for 400 years, they're in Egypt, and they're waiting, and it seems like God has forgotten. And suddenly, he steps back in, and the rescue mission continues. He raises up a leader, a guy named Moses, who is kind of ineloquent, a little bit cowardly, but he leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt with God's supernatural help, and they go out into the desert. And God and Israel confirm their covenant with one another. And God says to them, you know what? As a confirmation of my love for you, I'm going to give you some commands. And if you'll follow these commands, life is going to go better for you. But shortly after that, 
while Moses is, is up on the mountain at Sinai, as he's continuing to get instructions from God, instructions about the priesthood and additional laws and how they were to uh, build a place for God to be properly worshiped. The people below become restless. And so they take all their gold jewelry and they melt it all down and they form it into a golden calf. And they say, look, Israel, here's the gods that led you out of Egypt. As if a, a golden structure that they've just crafted, could have sent 10 supernatural plagues, could have parted the Red Sea, could have wiped out Pharaoh's entire army. And for the next 800 years, we see over and over and over again that Israel, it chases after other gods. Idolatry. Israel puts something else in place of God. They give something other than God value. They ascribe more value and worth to these man-made creations than they do to the God that, yes, they cannot see him, but he has certainly made himself known to them through his actions. And even though Israel continues to walk away, God continues to pursue her. God continues to go on his rescue mission. The rescue mission that began in the garden. And when Israel as a nation ceases to exist and all hope seems like it's lost, God was still at work. There was still a remnant. And when the time was just right, our heavenly father sent his one and only son, Jesus, and Jesus came to earth. He was born of a little teenage girl named Mary. And in that moment, the eternal God took on flesh. The Son, for all eternity, who'd been with the Father and the Holy Spirit, forevermore would be 100% God and 100% man this incredible mind-blowing truth. And Jesus ministered and he lived the life of perfect obedience that we could not live. He alone was without sin. And yet in spite of that, he was brutally beaten and hung on a Roman cross and he died as a sacrifice for our sins. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he came back to life, proving that the power and penalty of sin had been broken, that the problem you and I experience, the tension between us and God and wondering where we stand, a solution had been offered to any and all who receive. See, I don't know your story. But here's what I do know, that if you're here and you're listening to this, then the offer is extended to you. Listen to what John says about this in his gospel. He's, he kind of offers up a summary of all this. And keep in mind that, that John was one of Jesus' closest followers. So there was the 12 disciples and then there was Peter, James, and John. It was kind of Jesus' inner circle. So he's one of Jesus' closest 
followers. So he more than anyone else is qualified to tell us what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus means. And I want you to listen to how he summarizes this. And even if you're not a Christian, even if you uh, haven't been to church in a long time, you probably know this verse, or at the very least, you've heard this verse. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, This is how God loved the world. This is the way in which God demonstrated his love. That he gave his one and only son. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived the perfect life of obedience that we could not live. He was sinless and yet he was killed on a cross. He died as a substitute for our sin. All of of God's wrath which was right and just against sin. He didn't pour that out on us. He poured it out on Jesus. And instead, Jesus' perfection, Jesus' righteousness is made available to us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him Whoever believes that what Jesus did on the cross was for me, that was the death I should have died, and he died it for me. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, and it's not a statement about physical death, it's a statement about spiritual death, that that you will not be eternally separated from God, but instead have eternal life. Eternal life is not simply life that goes on forever. It's life with God and in relationship with God that goes on forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. When you begin to have an awareness that you've fallen short, when you begin to realize that that you don't measure up to God, it can leave you feeling hopeless. It can leave you feeling as if God is out to get to you. But what John clearly says in this verse is that Jesus did not come into this world to condemn us. He came into this world to offer salvation. God did not send his son on a search and destroy mission. He sent him on a search and rescue mission for you and 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 every single person who comes to a place in their life where they say, I can't do it anymore. I need Jesus. Whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, our own behavior, our own willful, sinful, rebellious behavior against God condemns us. We don't need Jesus to come and show us what we should have been like. We already knew that. We are already condemned by our own actions. 
And Jesus did not come to be a point of comparison. He came to be our savior. To say that life with God is not only possible, but it is available here and now through him, through faith in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And for many of us here, we have come to a place in our life where we have decided that we're gonna put our faith, our trust in Jesus, that that's what we're gonna bank on. We're gonna go all in on him. And for us, tonight is a twofold reminder. It's a reminder of what God has done for us. We need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this. Because if I'm not careful, I forget. And not only do I forget, I start to to slip back into those patterns I talked about earlier. Where I think that it's about what I do and what I don't do that somehow uh, gets me right with God that somehow impacts the way God views me, impacts the way that God interacts and responds to me. And so we need to be reminded of that. We'll take communion here in a few minutes. We'll have an opportunity to to take that cracker, to remember Jesus' broken body, and to take that cup of juice, to remember his shed blood on the cross, blood that he shed, that he poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. But it's also a reminder that because we've been rescued, we have been invited to join our heavenly father in his rescue mission. That we've been invited to bring the best news that anyone has ever heard to the places where we live, to our neighborhoods, to our workplace, to our school, anywhere we regularly go, God has invited us to actively participate with him in his rescue mission, and to bring the hope of Jesus to those places. And so my question for for us tonight, if you're a Christian, is how are you doing with that? How are you doing looking at, at the opportunities you have to share your faith, to share the message of what God has done for you through Jesus? And look, don't make, this doesn't have to be weird, okay? So if you go into work tomorrow, and your coworker, and you say, ah, you know, what'd you do last you know, for the weekend, and they say, well, I went to the lake. Don't be like, oh, the lake. You know who else went to a lake once? Jesus. Jesus went to the lake once. Walked on the water. Bet you didn't do that, did you? No, you know why Jesus walked on the water? Because he was God. Fully man, fully God. Came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose again. Would you like to get on your knees right now and repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? don't do that. It's true, but it's weird. It's not natural. Look, if you, if your coworker tells you, I went to the lake, say, great, how was it? And they'll probably say, what did you do? And you can say, well, I did some housework and I ran some errands and Sunday night I went to Element City Church. I had a good time there. The band was awesome. The speaker was okay. We had gluten-free communion. You ought to come sometime. See, if you begin to open your eyes and, and look around, I promise you, there will be plenty of opportunities for you to naturally and normally weave what God is doing in your life into the conversation. You don't have to be weird about it. 
You don't have to, to make the other person uncomfortable. Now listen, eventually there comes a point where we have to, to share our faith. But in my experience, those moments are, are generally less awkward when we just keep our eyes open and we wait. We wait for God's spirit to impress on us the right time to speak. Now for others of you, maybe you're here and you have never come to a place in your life where you have said, you know, I'm, I can't do it anymore. I've been trying to do it on my own. I, I, you know, Brandon, man, when you were describing that rebellion thing, you were describing me. When you were describing that religion and trying to get God to, to be good with me and to earn my way back to God, yeah, you were just describing me. And what I'd like to do is, is give you an opportunity tonight to make a decision to step forward in faith, to take a next step. As our mission as a church is about inviting people into a life-giving and life-changing relationship with Jesus. And that's about taking first steps and next steps. And for some of you, tonight might be the night that you take a first step. It's John 3.16, the verse we read. For God so loved the world. God loved. And so he did what a loving heavenly father would do. He gave. He gave his only son, Jesus. And Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins. Yes, your sins, all of them, no matter what they are. It was paid. But he did not stay in the grave. He rose again to prove that the power and penalty of sin had been paid and to give us the hope that if we believe in him, if we put all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our weight in Jesus, then we can have life with God starting now and forever. And so if you've not come to a place where you have done that before, I want to invite you tonight to take that step. Why not do it tonight? In fact, where you're at right now, you can just, you can just tell God that you want that. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose again. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that there's nothing I can do to earn my way back to you. I need Jesus. Tonight I, I turn from my sin and I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I let him be the leader of my life. And I thank you that you rescued me. And so I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna celebrate communion. But if that was, if that was something that you said, you know what, I'm gonna do that tonight. If you made that decision, then here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. We're gonna sing a couple songs after this. We'll have some announcements and then we'll be out of here. During these next couple of songs, I'll be right over here. If you did that for the first time, I'd just love to know about it. I'd just love to pray with you and encourage you. Got a Bible to give you. Um, mostly, I just want to pray for you and to just encourage you. Um, we're not going to make it weird or anything. I just, I'd really like to know about it. 
And so I'm going to pray and the band's going to come back up and then we'll take communion. But if that was you, you just come on over and, and we'll just pray together for a minute. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in the midst of our sin, you sent Jesus, your son, to rescue us. I thank you that life is available for all who believe. I pray that we would be a church that recognizes that, that never forgets that, that that it never gets old to us, the fact that you've saved us and rescued us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.